are kicking off a new series today that I've entitled, But God. And one of the things that I know to be true in my life, and maybe you can uh, find this to be true as well, is there are those moments in our lives that we face when we come, ag- come up against circumstances that seem impossible and seem overwhelming and seem larger than life, really, and put us into that place where we just don't know what's going on. And in those times, we oftentimes you kind of find ourselves getting a little bit concerned. The beautiful thing that is, is that when we face circumstances and we, when we face evil in the world, God is there. And there are these but God moments all throughout Scripture. And we're going to spend the next several weeks really diving into some of these but God moments when people faced situations and they seemed to be impossible and God intervened and everything changed because when when God shows up in your life when God shows up in your moment everything changes and perhaps you come in today with a situation that is larger than life perhaps you find yourself in a circumstance that causes you to go God I don't know where you're at in this but I need your help so I pray that we'll be encouraged as we dive into Scripture and understand what God is desiring to do in the midst of the hardship. Over the coming weeks, we'll see the power of God at work and the prayers of his people that changed everything as you and I pray and God's heart is moved. Today, we're going to be taking time to delve into the story of Joseph and to his experience and his own but God moment. You know, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, it's one of the more familiar stories if you spent much time in church. But if you haven't, you may not be all that familiar with this story. But Joseph's story started with a a fashionable coat and a couple dreams. Joseph was a bit of a dreamer, and, and he finds himself in this situation where he is favored by his father because Jacob had Joseph and his younger brother at a very old age. And so he favors Joseph and Benjamin above his other brothers. He's one of 12 brothers. And because Jacob favors Joseph, he, he goes and makes him what Scripture says is a richly adorned robe. It's translated over the years to the coat of many colors or some different variations of that. But Jacob creates this piece of wardrobe attire for Joseph, which I can only imagine, I would never do this, but you know, my brothers probably would, probably wore it around the house and kind of strutted, you know, and kind of puffed his chest out and maybe did a little, you know, you know, kind of like a little, a little pose just to show off his coat, just so everybody would see it. I can only imagine he was that humble. And his brothers were not real fond of him anyways, because of the favor that their father, Jacob, had bestowed upon him. But Joseph's brothers now come to a place where they despise him, and they want to get rid of him. Scripture says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. It's a kind of a, you know, that's a different layer of, of, of hatred, but that's where they found themselves. And to make matters worse, we know in the story of Joseph that Joseph has a couple dreams. And Joseph, of course, you know, he's, he's, he, if he's going to dream, he, he might as well share his dream with, with everyone. And so he goes to his brothers and 
shares his first dream, and it's this dream where they're, they're out in the, in the fields, and they're working on the sheaves of grain, and they're all working on them, and, and all of a sudden, Joseph's sheaf of grain stands straight up, and all the other sheaves of grain bow down. And if you're familiar with the story, Joseph tells his brothers this, and they're, they're just irate. What are you saying? that We're going to bow down to you, Joseph? And then, of course, he goes and has another, another dream. And it's the dream of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. And they, too, bow down to Joseph's star. And you can see the whole, you can see the whole context. They just get madder and madder and madder. I had three brothers, and they were never mad at me. Except for that one time when my older brother, Ned, chased me around the house because he was upset about something. My parents were gone, by the way. Chased me around the house with the plastic, you know, wood ladle that my parents used to spank us with. And he proceeded to try and spank me. And he hit me on the kneecap, and it snapped in two. And it actually ended up, ended up not hurting, and it was very funny. I just laughed at him. But, you know, my, there, was, there was times my brothers hated me. But Joseph's brothers hated him so much, they said, we got to get rid of this guy. I'm done. I'm done dealing with his nonsense. I'm done dealing with his pride. So they devised a plan. They ended up throwing Joseph into a pit. They took his coat, they rubbed lamb's blood all over it, and gave it to their father and said, he's dead. We don't know what happened. He must have been ravaged by wolves. or, Of course, Jacob is distraught. And they don't know what to do with Joseph and, and until a, a caravan from Egypt comes along and they think, let's get rid of him for good. Let's, we're, you know, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they sell Joseph into slavery, sell him to this caravan. Joseph ends up going into Egypt and being sold to a high-ranking official named Potiphar. And he spends time serving in Potiphar's house, and he, he does very well until Potiphar's wife gets a little bit handsy and, and decides that she kind of likes Joseph. He's a strapping young man and tries to make an advance on him to which Joseph fleed, leaving his coat and his, and, his, and his clothes behind. And then he's wrongfully accused and thrown in prison, wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. The story just keeps getting better and better and better for Joseph. And in prison, he meets the cupbearer and the, and the baker, and he meets these guys, and he's, he's hanging out with them. And they end up having dreams to which he interprets the baker and the cupbearer's dreams. And eventually, they're released from prison. Joseph's left there by himself. And the pharaoh, who is leader of all Egypt, the entire empire, ends up having a dream, a dream of seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, and he doesn't know what it means. It's very disturbing to him. And he calls for all of his officials, and nobody can inter interpret the dream, and we know what happens. The baker and the cupbearer, oh, I remember Joseph. Joseph interpreted my dreams. So they tell him, and they bring Joseph to Pharaoh, and he interprets the dreams. There's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. We need to prepare. And because of Joseph's discernment and his ability to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, he's put in charge of all of Egypt. He's given a very high-ranking position. 
And sure enough, seven years of plenty, and they stockpile everything. Seven years of famine, and Joseph's family and all of Egypt, all, all the, the whole region is hit hard by this famine. And Joseph's family journeys, takes a couple journeys to Egypt because they need help. They need supplies. And Joseph makes himself known eventually to his family, settles them in Egypt, and his father Jacob dies. It's a really crazy story of reconciliation and restoration. But along that journey, Jacob is uh, Joseph is challenged at every angle. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 50. If you're following along online, uh, you can grab your Bible and flip to Genesis chapter 50. If you're using a mobile device, you can look on the Version Bible app and just search events um, under the options, and you will find Neighborhood Church. You can follow along with all of our scriptures and notes. But starting in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Father God, we find ourselves so often in these moments and these situations in life where everything seems lost, everything seems to be overwhelming, the forces coming at us from every angle want to just serve to take us out. But God, we know that you are in the midst of those moments. You are in the midst of these seasons that we find ourselves in. And you desire to be the answer. You desire to be our provision and our protector. So God, we surrender ourselves to you today. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts by your scripture. Pray that you challenge us to know what you are doing, what you are desiring to accomplish in the midst of the seasons and the situations that we face. God, we love you. We thank you for this time we're able to spend together. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is an interesting passage of Scripture because after all that has occurred, Joseph's brothers are still in this place where they're scheming. Isn't it interesting? What do we, what do we see them say? What if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? What if he holds a grudge? What if he doesn't want to see us? What if he recognizes us and he casts us into prison, throws us out of Egypt? They're worried and they're desperate. And so they devise this plan and they walk in and they say, your father Jacob, he's dead, but he left these instructions. 
You know, there's no proof that Jacob ever instructed his sons to say any of what they said. Scholars go back and forth, but most theologians believe that there was no telling of the brothers to go and and say this to, to Joseph. Most theologians don't even believe that Jacob had any knowledge of what the brothers had done to Joseph. So perhaps they haven't learned anything. They're still in that place of of looking after themselves and covering themselves and making sure that, that they've got everything they need and they really don't care too much about Joseph, just what he may do to them. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, a saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How do we respond when somebody has repeatedly abused and mistreated us? How do we respond? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. And today, I want to look at three signs that God is turning evil that was meant for you to good. Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's not disrupted by the evil in this world. It can be when we fall prey to it. But his desire is that his plan and purpose would be fulfilled amidst the evil that you face. The first thing that we've got to come to understand is God will challenge you through someone else's sin so that you can help more people. God will challenge you through someone else's sin so that you can be a source of blessing to others. It's really an incredible picture that we have to face trials so that we can then help people who are struggling. You know, this, this, this part of the scripture in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 and 21 but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. In one other translation, it says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. What an incredible picture. Joseph's cast down and out by his brothers Meant for evil, that that word meant or to mean means to intend for a particular purpose or destination. What was the purpose or the destination that the brothers had in mind? They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to end him. They wanted to finish Joseph off. And if they couldn't do that and couldn't live with that, well, let's just get rid of him. Let's sell him. Let's get him out of here, never to be seen again. And as God would have it, They would face him face to face again. They meant evil only to have God position him in a place of authority and power to be the very force that saves his brothers and countless others. What an amazing picture of God's providence in the midst of evil. And you may be struggling now through difficulty in your own life and the pain of others' decisions 
the pain of hurts that have been put onto you. Perhaps you have kids who have turned their back on God and the church, and they're out and they're, and they're doing things and they're a part of things that are destructive, and your heart is aches for where they're at, and you're, you're daily desiring and praying that God would pull them back, that God would draw them back to the plan that he has for their life. Perhaps you have a spouse who's physically or emotionally unavailable, or worse, abusive. Maybe you're nursing the scars of unfaithfulness in your marriage and breach of trust and hurt that goes so deep you don't feel that there's ever going to be a time where you can be whole again. Or perhaps you are surrounded by people who are entrenched in addictive behaviors of alcoholism and drug abuse. Maybe you, maybe you have people who are workaholics. Perhaps you have friends who are addicted to pornography or other destructive behaviors. I'm here to tell you there is a hope of healing. I'm here to tell you that God can bring about restoration and forgiveness in Jesus. All is not lost when we face evil. Joseph's story was literally foreshadowing what would happen to Jesus. Can you believe that? Joseph goes through this entire journey of just crazy circumstances, of opposition that just seems like at any moment it could take him out. And yet that was exactly what Jesus faced. Every step of his journey was opposition. People who were plotting day in and day out to get rid of him. People with evil in their hearts. And they thought, we'll kill him. We'll crucify him. We'll be done with this. He's not going to tell us how to live our lives. He's not going to point out our flaws. He's not going to blaspheme. We'll just get rid of him. And God used the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as the source of healing and forgiveness for everyone. What they meant for evil, God used for good. Those who crucified him, those who God has forgiven. And you may say, well, I wasn't there, man. That wasn't me. But the reality is every time that we fall short of what God desires for our lives, every time that we turn our back, every time that we are part of a behavior that is contrary to what God desires for us, we're punching a nail into his hand, to his feet. And that forgiveness is available because God loves us amidst the evil that sometimes is in our hearts. God can turn evil for good in our lives when we allow him to use the evil attacks as opportunities to show his love. People will attack you. It won't be fun. But when you forgive someone who's harmed you, you are literally showing them the power of God at work. And then he gets the glory. Because the reality is, the enemy would desire that you, you spread more hate. The enemy of your soul desires that when someone hurts you, man, get them back and make it hurt. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Scripture tells us. There's no ambiguity to what the devil is up to, if you're wondering. So the evil that exists in this world 
You can look and say, where is God in all this? Here's the better response. There's evil in the world. Because the enemy of our souls is still trying to destroy us. And instead of saying, where is God? Maybe you should speak out against the evil and show love. Because the enemy would desire that we return hate with hate. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not, do not curse them. We've got to understand that in the midst of someone else's sin, God is desiring that you would bless people, that you would help them. And that is a challenge that we have to take on each day. The second thing is this. God will expose the sin of others to help strip away negativity in your life. He will open your eyes to the sin of other people and the evil that is going on, even in the midst of relationships, to help you strip the negativity in your life. People too often miss the toxic nature of negativity and a critical spirit. We think that it's okay if we walk around and we judge people and we're critical and we speak negativity at every turn and, and you know, ah, that person doesn't get it and, you know, I don't agree with their political beliefs and blah, 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 blah. And we, we get all revved up and self-righteous and we think it's okay for us to just live that way. But negativity is like a deadly disease if it's allowed to exist for very long in our lives. It'll drive us to bitterness and cynicism and a critical spirit and, and will, over time, erode any Christ-like character we might have or desire to strive for. Unfortunately, we don't typically understand that negative people can have the same impact in our lives over time. The people that we hang out with are either moving us closer to God or drawing us away. They're either lifting us up or they're dragging us down. There's no in-between. There's no kind of like, you know, I'm just hanging out here. You know, there's negative people all around me, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here. What's the old saying? Misery loves company. You hang around with, with miserable people very long, and you're either taking them towards Christ's plan and purpose for their lives, or they're drawing you away from it. While we would never allow a deadly disease to go unchecked or untreated in our lives, we often allow and even invite negative people into our sphere of relationship. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have people in our lives, we shouldn't have people that we're investing in, people who don't know God, who, who are struggling and who are, are lost and they're searching for hope and they're searching for an answer. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those people in our lives. I'm saying that those should not be your closest relationships unless you're actively encouraging them to their plan and purpose that God has for them. Because we rarely stop to consider the consequences of an Investing in negativity all day long. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says, But now I'm, going, I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Paul is saying we should not be allowing 
evil and negativity to exist in our lives long term. In a different translation, he says, but actually I wrote you to not associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive or habitually drunk or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. You surrounding yourself with people who like to get drunk? Are you surrounding yourself with people who like to gossip? Oh, let's pray for so-and-so. Man, they're really jacked up. And man, I, you should hear the stuff that's going on in their lives. And we like to gossip and then we like to cloak it and we're praying for people. Let's just lift them to the Lord. Spiritual gossip is just as distasteful to God as one that doesn't have the spiritual air quotes thrown around it. We've got to understand that we can't be involved in those types of behavior. We can't entertain that kind of evil and say it's okay. When you receive that report from somebody who's gossiping, you're just as guilty as the person who's spewing nonsense. Unless you say, you know what? I love that person. Yeah, they may not be where they're supposed to be, but let's not be talking about them. God turns evil into good when he shows us the truth about somebody's intentions. We don't have to embrace evil. We don't have to empower evil. We can call it what it is, and we can do it in love. And we shouldn't be talking about that person. Man, you, you, you know, maybe that's one too many. I'll drive you home, but I think you maybe, maybe need, to, need to slow things down. In some cases, we may need to end relationships to live free from the evil that is being caused by somebody's life and their behavior. That's a hard deal. These can be painful decisions, but they'll spare us the pain and destruction that will come if we don't make the decision to stop the negativity from taking root in our lives because it's destructive. We've got to understand that God will challenge you through someone else's sin so that you can help people, but he's also going to expose the sins of others to help strip away a negativity that exists in your life. The final thought is this. God will allow you greater opportunities to share his love amidst the evil. Here's the deal, friends. All is not lost because evil exists in the world. If it was... Jesus never would have gone to the cross. He never would have died. God would have never resurrected him. God would have just said, listen, I gave you guys this awesome garden, told you don't eat from one tree, and you're all a bunch of morons, and you did. So it's on you. That would have been the case. I mean, God didn't have to redeem his created, but he did. And so understand that evil still exists in the world, and we can call it what it is, but don't be surprised when evil comes knocking on your door. Jesus said, in this world you will face trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So in the midst of evil, God is still working. And we don't often understand what God is accomplishing in the midst of the trials. But he's accomplishing his perfect will nonetheless, whether we see it or not. And it's not until we reflect 
oftentimes that we can see that God was in control and he was with us the whole time. I mean, look at, look at Joseph's life. Do you, think, do you think Joseph, I mean, let's just, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. Do you think Joseph, when his brothers were like, hey, we don't really like you very much. We don't like your coat. We don't like the way you do your hair. We don't, you know, they chuck him in a pit. Do you think he was like, woo, I love pits. Pits are great. This is, this is exactly where I wanted to be right now. You think that when they pulled him out of the pit and they told a lie to his dad, hey, he's dead, sorry, our bad, you know, we should have been watching him better, I guess. But you think when, he, when they sold him into slavery, you think he was like, yes, slavery's awesome. And then he goes into Egypt and he gets put into Potiphar's house. He starts, you know, gaining some traction. He's making his way. He's, he's starting to have some good things happening. And then Potiphar's wife gets a little handsy and says, hey, and he takes off, and then he gets thrown in prison for it. You think he's like, woo, prison's great. This is just getting better. No. That probably sucked. Bad. I can't imagine that. If I was sitting in a pit, I would be like, God, what the heck's going on here? I, you know, a minute ago, I had this sweet coat. Now I'm stuck in a dirt pit. I probably would have started questioning God right then. Yet Joseph understood that there was a plan. Sometimes we have to reflect to see what God is doing in the midst of evil. And our faith and our willingness to share God's love will always depend on our perspective. Because if your perspective in, the, in tough times is, where is God? What is going on? Where are you, God? I've obeyed you. I've done everything you asked me to do. And you've abandoned me. Do you think that's going to catapult you into an attitude of, man, God is good and he's doing great things and oh, it's all going to be good? No. You start with that confession and I guarantee you the end result will be, I guess I don't need God because he's not here anyways. But when you start with a confession of, God, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know why these forces are coming against me. I don't know why this is happening. then maybe, just maybe, you can come to a place of saying, God, I rejoice in suffering. God, I give you my life again today amidst all the evil that's going on in the world. Do we focus solely on the evil being done to us? Do we focus solely on the people who are doing evil and we say they're evil people? God can't do anything with them. You think Jesus looked up in the tree and saw Zacchaeus and said, that guy is evil. I don't want anything to do with him. No, he said, come down. I want to have lunch with you. Do we remember the promises of God when we face hardship? Do we focus on the evil? Do we remember that God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm a very present help in times of trouble. I'm your shield and your strength. I'll be closer than a brother. Do we remember those promises? Take Paul. He's thrown into prison. What does he do? He writes a letter to a church. 
to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What? Who does that? Goes to prison and they're like, hey, don't let me out yet. I need to convert everybody still. I need to convert that guard, that guy over there. He's still not following Jesus. I have to believe that if you or I get thrown in prison, we'd be like, well, this kind of stinks. But Paul saw it as an opportunity, an opportunity to win everyone for the cause of Christ. And he seized that opportunity in the midst of evil, horrible evil that was being done to him. Because Paul was in prison, God allowed him to witness. Evil, good. When we keep proclaiming Christ, even when people do bad things to us, our Christian witness becomes that much stronger. I got news for you. Anybody can follow Jesus when everything's going good. What does your Christian witness look like when people are doing evil things? Because that's the telltale sign of a Christ follower. When the adversity comes, what comes out? Is it nasty, sick negativity? Is it hopeless fear? Or is your confession, God, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. I know you're good. We have to remember that God will challenge you through other sins so that you're prepared to help the same people who are hurting you. And God will expose the sins of other people to strip away that toxic negativity so that you can live life free. And God will always allow you greater opportunities to share his love amidst the evil that will exist in the world until he returns. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you that we don't have to focus on the evil. We can understand where evil comes from. And that should be our confession. This is not from God. This is not because this person is evil. This comes straight from the enemy, and I'm not going to embrace it. I'm going to speak life, and I'm going to speak love. Father, I pray that you give us that courage, that you give us that strength amidst horrible evil and difficult circumstances. I pray that you would help us to be the kind of people who love regardless of what's going on in the world. Help us not to get caught up in the, the ridiculous political debates that divide people. Help us not to get caught up in, in angry responses to people. Help us not to return evil with evil, but to know that you've called us to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse. Help us, Father. We can't do it on our own. It's only by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can live a life worth following, that we can live a life worth your glory. God, I pray that you'd strengthen your people, that you'd strengthen us and help us to understand that in the midst of all the things that we're facing, you are still good and you're still moving. What the enemy meant for evil, you meant for good. 
We thank you that in the midst of everything that we face, there are but God moments that we can embrace and that we can own and that we can share. I pray that you'd help us today. And if you're in this place this morning and you've not stepped into relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you into that, that place. If you say, I, I still struggle and I don't have hope and I'm, I'm without, I'm without a, a, the, the, the hope that, that life will turn out the way that I had hoped it had. Maybe you, you were in a place where you say, I've, I've just done too many things wrong and I've turned my back on God for too long and he can't redeem me. You're wrong. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your future. He cares about your past. He cares about where you're at today. Scripture says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that Christ died and was resurrected, we will be saved. And this morning, I want to invite you into that place of relationship. The moment we're going to say a prayer, it's a simple prayer. Just like the scripture says, if you confess it and you believe it, Jesus will become the Lord of your life today. And everything changes. So as a church, we're going to say this prayer. We invite you to say it with us, whether you're here in the house or you're tuning in online. I invite you to say these words. Church, would you say it with me? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change. And I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but we celebrate relationship on Valentine's Day. And for those who've made a decision to follow Jesus with their whole heart today, I think it's cause for celebration. Can we celebrate those today that have made that decision? But God, those are two powerful words. When you come across but God in Scripture, I would encourage you to pay attention. Because what comes next will usually change the entire situation. There's a quote from author Max Lucado. He says, in God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And he's working in your life today. Our prayer partners, our prayer team is available to you today. If you have a need that you'd like somebody to agree with you for, uh, our prayer team is around the worship center. The conclusion of the service, they'll be available to you. If you're tuning in online and you'd like us to be agreeing with you in prayer for something, please uh, send us an email at info at albanync.org. We would be happy to add you to our prayer list. And church, today as we go out, uh, out of this place, I would encourage you to understand that you are in the midst of a but God moment. And God is desiring to show up big in your life. 
He wants to use these moments not only to bless you, but to bless the people with whom you come in contact with. So this week, as we go out of this place, as we go to our jobs, as we spend time with our kids, as we spend time distance learning and doing all the crazy things that we're doing in this season, I would encourage you to keep your eyes open for those but God moments where he can use you. As we go out of this place, as you enjoy your Valentine's time together, let's continue to strive each and every day and each and every moment to be the neighborhood. Have a wonderful, blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday uh, for our annual business meeting and Sunday services. God bless you.